Hi, and thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to be speaking with Jeff Cove, manager of The Watch here in Lethbridge. We're going to have some tough questions. We're going to have conversation about what The Watch is and what it does for our community. So with that, welcome to Connecting Your Community. Podcasting from Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. This is Connecting Your Community. Building community through unity. Through unity. Getting things done takes activism. And Blaine Higgin and Mallory Christiansen have come together to share firsthand community voices. Bringing awareness to community issues. Watching how other communities handle like problems. And sharing their successes. Connecting. Connecting your community. Here are your hosts. Blaine Higgin and Mallory Chris Jansen. Well, here we are. This is uh, good morning, good afternoon. Good, afternoon. good evening. Um, yeah, <laughs> it always blends. We, um, we're really excited to be able to have Jeff Cove. He is the, the head of the watch here in, in Lethbridge. And I, I got to tell you something, there's been so many different comments and concerns and questions, and we'll get deeper yep. into that later as, as far as it goes with the watch and exactly what the watch is. But uh, first off, I know both of you have met each other because I first had asked the question <laughs> and, and you started to tell me as well as, as Jeff had told me how you'd met. I got to hear it from you guys on, on how this happened. <laughs> Jeff, do you want to share how we first met each other? <laughs> so um, I go out once a week with my people. Um, I put on my red shirt and I go out with them. And I was on patrol one day and we were parked at Gold Gardens. And there was an individual that I noticed. I was sitting in the backseat of the truck. And out the windshield, I noticed this fellow who appeared to be intoxicated. And he was eating a hot dog. And I was actually concerned that he was going to choke on the hot dog. So I got out of the truck and walked up to watch him eat this hot dog. And while I was standing there watching him, suddenly there was a person standing to my left. And she said, congratulations on your new job. And I looked at her. She said to me, I'm Mallory Christiansen. And I said, oh, nice to meet you. And I turned back to watch this fellow. And he consumed the hot dog without a medical emergency coming from it. So I was good. And I turned back to talk to Mallory. And she disappeared. Yeah. So. Sometimes I just go around and I congratulate and I think people that's and that say, way. thank you. It happens all the time with you, Mallory, yeah. too. I'll see Mallory. She'll pull up and she'll have granola bars. And she'll be up with someone. And then it's like, oh, hey, yeah. there's Mallory. I'll turn and look back. Oh, Mallory's gone. Yeah. And actually, so. that. <laughs> day we were we were handing out bread because we had a massive donation and we just like to get back to the community so you know Jeff I really just want to I really personally want to thank you guys for what you're doing and I, I've heard a lot. I've also been there where I had some stigma and what is the watch really doing? Is this a band-aid solution? That's kind of what I went through um, until I actually met and worked and collaborated with the watch right so I want to just bring to light first is this this is what I carry I carry an aloxin kit yep. to assist individuals who are overdosing. And so one day I usually carry about anywhere from three to five, depending. And I remember this day vividly. I used three already and I was out and I noticed someone in distress. Uh, they're calling me. Hey, Mallory, can you help? I couldn't. I was out. The watch came. The watch uses something different than what a lot of us on the front line use. So can you explain to uh, people who are following and listening what the different approach is for an overdose that you guys are trained for? So um, we have had training to use the needles, but we, we use uh, the nasal Narcan. Um, it's 10 times more medication than in the, in the needles. It's easier to use. One of the problems that happens with the, uh, the naloxone kits is you have to draw, there's three vials in the kit, and you have to draw the uh, medication out with a needle. Um, and there's a little air bubble that's in the end of it. And in a pressure situation, when you're trying to draw the 
Narcan medication on. You have to be careful that you don't push the needle up beyond the end of the of the there's medication. So there's a little air pocket that's, that's right about there in the top yeah. of it. So what happens is this is an intramuscular medication. So when the needle goes in, sometimes it goes all the way up. And there's a lot of stuff that's happening. So you have somebody who's who's not breathing. When they're not breathing, they're going to go into cardiac arrest if they don't get attention right away. So you've got compressions yeah. on the go. Um, for our people, we are on the phone to uh, 911 to Calgary, and we're also on the radios to the public safety communications center um, to get assistance. And we have somebody who is dealing with an Arcan piece. Um, for us, um, once you have the person who's, uh, you have them laying out in a position that when they can start breathing again, they can breathe. Uh, we introduce the Narcan into one side of the nose and it delivers 10 times the yep. medication. So it's like giving 10 needles, just like yep. that. And I you can't overdose. That a needle was always just you, more no, direct yep. than a needle. No, and, and it's, it's not. It's intramuscular. So it's the mucous membranes that are in your nose, takes the medication. Your heart is still going. You might not be breathing, but your heart is going to keep on going for a little while. So the, the blood keeps circulating and right. it takes the medication into the receptor to be able to clear them, to get the, the breathing started. There's lots of cases where we have to do chest compressions because the, we can't get a heart rate or yeah. it's very faint and, and away we go with it. But um, And it seems that time waiting for an ambulance to, yeah. to come, can, yeah. it can only be like a, a couple yeah. minutes, but yes. it, when you're there with somebody that is, is non-responsive, I, I can only imagine that And you time. can't overdose on, on naloxone. And that so, was a question I had yeah, as well. I thought, well, gosh, that's it. 10 times as strong. Can you overdose? No, but you think about it. One shot up the nose yep. with, with our kit is better yep. than three of those Because this is point .4. Complete point .4. And, and you guys are running. Yes. So just on that topic right now, Jeff, before we get into a lot of the questions that community members have asked us to ask you, how many overdoses has the watch reversed? So as of... To, as of the end of August, we're up to 29. Um, 18 of them have happened over the last couple of months. It's been a really busy summer. Right. Um, 29? Yeah, we've been in service for 16 months. For the first four or five months, we didn't carry naloxone yep. or Narcan. We didn't use any of it. Uh, we got it, and then uh, we started using it. And then for whatever reason, we didn't keep really good statistics. Um, it became something that we absolutely needed to to uh, to talk Absolutely. about and to count um so we we have and of course during my tenure i've only been the manager i shouldn't say that i guess i'm now the longest serving manager but i've been the manager since february and uh, uh we've we've taken serious count of that and it used to be a couple times a month mm -hmm. um bearing in mind that um these are people that we're either called for yeah or worst case scenario we've had this about half of these 29 that we have are people that are alone or yeah. they were with friends when they were oh, okay. using their opioids yep. and the friends overdose disappear. happened and the yep. friends disappear. So mm -hmm. if we hadn't come along, that person would have died alone. Exactly. And that's something that we need to talk about. And we've touched on that with other podcasts where individuals have actually overdosed and died yeah. because Without they've used substances by themselves. And we also yeah. had a young lady outside, even, uh, you know, one of the organizations who actually overdosed and died yeah. right on the doorsteps. Right. So, you know, even for people who are considering using is always have one of these and always, if you are going to use to have someone sure with you with somebody. or anything like yeah. that. But yeah, well, even one of the worst things about the addiction piece is people don't understand how we get to addiction. So for a lot of our people that uh, have become addicted, they have some level of trauma that's in their life. Absolutely. For indigenous people, of course, we have the trauma with the residential schools and that kind of stuff. Um, for lots of them, lots of them have been victims of sexual abuse, physical abuse. Um, lots of them. I've, I've had friends, you know, that are that are my age that are homeless and addicted, those kinds of things. And um, because of 
their physiological makeup, Absolutely. they're more susceptible to being um, yeah. addicted yeah. to things. And they go to college and they drink yeah. beer like we all did in college, and suddenly they're addicted to alcohol and move on to other things. And mm -hmm. I didn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they lose everything. They lose their homes, their livelihood, their families, all you're, of it. So, so now, Jeff, you're talking some some serious dedication to this cause and I, I say it this way because I know that I've known you for quite some time we've uh, had the opportunity well I've had the opportunity of having being shot at by this guy in in, in yeah. hockey being a being a goalie and I have an Edmonton Oilers helmet so being a Calgary Flames fan you can only imagine where he was oh, aiming all the time teams, but I gotta tell terrible. you something I remember I remember uh, throughout that time as you were an inspector here with the uh, Lethbridge Police Service you would you're really looking forward to retirement. Yep. And so I was like, when, when, when all this, this happened and it looked like you're really enjoying your retirement time with your, your grandkids and, and doing some projects around the house, the honey-do list from what uh, we all hear. <laughs> and then I saw that you were with the watch. Now, I really need to know personally, like, cause, cause I thought you're really enjoying that. And I know that the dedication you've had over the past and, and appreciate the service that you've done yes. here to the citizens of Lethbridge, what brought you back to the watch? Um, so I'd been retired for six years and I'd, I had done various jobs and it's, it's interesting. Of course, you, you get lots of opportunities in the community. People know you and Hey, can you come do this job? Can you come do that job? And um, I read the posting about the watch looking for volunteers. I thought, this is great. I, I was doing my own thing, um, doing a little bit of teaching uh, in first aid and security, doing some home uh, builder safety stuff. Um, I'd been the regional manager for the commissioners for a while, but left that because that was a nearly full-time job. But um, I had some time on my hands, and I thought, you know, the city's given me an awful lot, and it's my turn to give back. Um, my wife and children volunteer so I thought this is my chance to to volunteer give back and so I phoned sent an application they had me in an interview I went and did all the training just like everybody else That's amazing. So mm -hmm. report writing uh, note-taking uh, cultural and spiritual awareness all of it uh, verbal judo stuff lots of stuff that I already done in police training and whatnot but I sat in that first class with all the team leads and the volunteers and that's what I did um, I had time so um, I would, they, we asked that you give four hours a week. So one right. four hour shift a week. So I'd give two or three some weeks and then have to adjust when I was away on holidays and, and it really fit well into my lifestyle. And I had never intended to be anything other than a volunteer. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's that what, it. and that's what I thought it was, I was going to volunteer for some, get back and, to this community. Yeah, and as then, long as the watch exists, I'm yeah. going to volunteer. That's the deal. Mm -hmm. That's where I was with it. Um, in any event, um, come September, um, I got recruited to do the walk a mile in her shoes. Awesome. I That's do a remember. Cause. That's a great that. cause. Okay, so, and being being a little bit shorter, that, that did you give you that really extra height? You shouldn't really be well. stuck with so, And I have history with the Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. Uh, my wife was the, the president of the YWCA. Um, and I was the first MC for the first Walk a Mile. Oh, right I represented on. the police service. Um, got the police service out, got uh, some competitions with the RCMP and the fire department, that kind of stuff. So that was all stuff that we had done. So I, we got there and we happened to be in the park and I hadn't planned on that, but one, the, my team lead said, you should do the walk a mile in her shoes. So I said, okay. So I made a donation, got some donations from people right that on. were there, put on the shoes and, and did the walk with them. That day though, we lost our manager who had been with us since the beginning. He'd gone on to other things. And uh, we had a, a acting manager who did, a, she did an awesome job um, filling in and, and uh, doing the things and keeping the watch running. And I was very happy being mm -hmm. the, the 
volunteer. Volunteer. Yeah. I was volunteer of the month in July too. Oh, were you? Okay. Yeah, second month of operations, I was volunteer yeah. of the month, which was cool. Anyway, so um, the, the, our our acting manager was selected to be a CPO. So she was going to CPO training. They needed to find a manager, and they'd recruited and looked. And then one day, at, I think actually it was at the Christmas party, um, she recruited me to apply for it. So I did. Um, we were on our vacation, our annual vacation in Mexico, and I got an email from home that said, hey, we want to interview you for manager. I said, great, when? And it was, happened to be the day after I got back from Mexico. So what did you do to prepare for this interview? I was sitting on a beach in Mexico. Absolutely. But in any event... I would hope that was the case. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I was fortunate enough to be selected from the pool um, as the manager, and I was able to put some skills that I'd been using, but not the, all the police mm -hmm. skills and whatnot to use. And here we are today. So it, it's been a great opportunity for me to work with some great people in the police service and in the watch yeah. uh, to help yeah. the police to, to take the watch program and, and kind of mold it and grow it. Absolutely. And you never want to be satisfied with what you're doing that day. There's always room for improvement. Right? So there's right? always room for improvement. And so I looked at it and I knew that there were things when I was a volunteer that was like, you know, if I wasn't just a volunteer, I would do this, that, or the other thing. But hey, I'm just a volunteer, so I do my thing. You, you try to give some guidance and, and help, and, and they... It's funny because when I was the volunteer of the month, they said I was like a walking encyclopedia. But um, to share that stuff, <laughs> but, but to actually be Absolutely. in charge and get to implement it. So it's worked really well. And we have some really great team leads and some awesome volunteers that yeah. are part of the program. And, and uh, anyway, Excellent. so, so we're going to get into some hard questions now. OK, yeah. and this is a nice, gentle one that we have forgot to mention. How long were you a police officer for? Uh, I was a police officer for 29 years. I had done 11 different jobs over four different ranks and I retired as an inspector. So I was happy being a pensioner. <laughs> I got to do a lot of things in the police service. I was a detective, I was the public affairs officer. So I was the face of the police service for three years when I was uh, the executive officer for the chief. Um, I was a staff sergeant in charge of major crimes. I investigated child abuse cases and sexual assaults. Uh, I, was, I assisted on a few homicides here and there. Um, I did frontline work. I used to investigate fatal motor vehicle crashes. Wow. I was the, the police service's first collision reconstructionist, so I was the, had the highest level of training at the time um, to a level four reconstructionist. And uh, so I, if, wow. if, it, if somebody was killed in a motor vehicle crash, I dealt with it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it was a great career. I had one, one career, many different jobs, and, and 11 different positions. Which is good, through. too, yeah. right? Just get a you different get that variety. Variety, for sure. And, and in reality, although I spent 29 years in it, I was actually like everybody else, where I, in today's world, where you only spend a couple of years at a job on average, statistically. And then go that's to That's basically yep. where I was. There wow, you go. that's Perfect. awesome. Thank you for your service, Jeff. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay, so... Let's get into some of the questions that we have for you. And I know for me, uh, we had let some of the community members know that we were going to be hosting you. And of course, there's going to be controversy. There's different perspectives. I mean, we deal with misconceptions all the time, Blaine and I. Um, but in any event, one of the questions that we had from a community <coughs> member was asking why the city of Lethbridge is paying the watch $1 million if it's a volunteer-run company. Can you explain yep. that to us? So it's a half million dollars. Oh, it's a half million dollars. It's, it's $500,000 a year. Um, so the watch is a peculiar volunteer opportunity in that we require the volunteers to provide us four hours a week. The requirement though, is that you also have to be able to walk and it's not uncommon to have to walk between 12 and 15 kilometers yeah. every shift. Um, so we don't get volunteers out. I also need 84 volunteers to be able to cover every shift that's available for an entire week. And I only mm -hmm. have 25. 
somebody has to do the work yeah. and somebody has to be responsible. Yes, we have access to the police station. We have access to the police radios, which gives us immediate communication, yeah. those kinds of things. The level of training that they have from cultural and spiritual awareness, um, de-escalation, um, verbal tactical communication, those kinds of things. And the, the week's mandatory training, everybody does. But when the volunteers aren't there, somebody has to pick up the slack, and that's the, the team leads, the people that are responsible. They're not paid a huge wage, but mm -hmm. if you do the math on it, we have, we have four team leads for 12 hours a day, every day. So yep. um, with the, uh, the people that we have, uh, with the 48 man hours every day that we put out there on the street, seven days a week, paying those people. I mean, that's, there's 300 and some odd thousand dollars right there. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, add to that the naloxone is not, our Narcan kits are not free. Absolutely. The training, the that's uniforms, the all those had. other that, things. That all comes from it that budget, comes cost, correct? So it comes at a, at a budget. Um, I get paid. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not there for the money. I'd be just as happy to be retired if it wasn't for the importance of having mm -hmm. the watch out there. Um, the uniforms, of course, the red shirts and yep. whatnot that everybody knows. And, and I've had lots of comments from people. It's like, thank God you wear red. Because I can look down the street Absolutely. and see you. Even yeah, as police someone who was on that. the front line yeah. is, thank goodness I could see the red because I red. knew someone was yeah. right around the corner if I needed that extra assistance, yeah. right? So, of course, when they have this money, they said, oh, and you've got a vehicle. What do you need the vehicle oh. for? But you've explained that to me, and yeah. I want, want you to make sure so, that you... So the vehicle is not a patrol... Yep. platform. It's a deployment platform and it serves a number of uses. So we patrol from Mayor McGrath Drive yep. to Scenic Drive and into the park and from 5th Avenue North to 6th Avenue South. It's divided into five areas. So whoever's working the furthest away from the police station takes the truck and drops people off into the areas because you don't want to spend your time walking to the area to the you area. Mm -hmm. work. Right. So as the old guy, before we had the truck, for whatever reason, I always got put on the north side yeah. to Fifth Avenue and hey, 23rd the north Street. Side's a good side. Side. Which is fine to work. I mean, yeah. I've, I've worked as a police officer all over the place. There's yeah. nothing wrong with any of these places to work. Yeah. They all have things but that need the furthest, to be done. Furthest but you were the furthest point. I was the oldest volunteer and I was always sent that yep. far away. So I had to walk from the police station all the way Absolutely. out there. And it took, there was suddenly 30, 45 minutes. And yes, you're and walking you through neighborhoods, yeah. but there's people that are already signed to those areas. Right. So anyway, so the, the truck we, we use to deploy, it also has our phone number on it. Absolutely. So if you need something, yep. you see it that's there. And people have yep. started to remember the, the watch phone number. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, and then the, uh, the truck also serves the purpose of when we're out there, especially during the COVID pieces, when it was cold, when it was Absolutely. raining and those kinds of things, for occupational yeah. health and safety standards, you have to have some place for them to go and take, yeah. be able to take shelter. Yeah. Right. The other piece, of course, is uh, for safety. If you have if you have the truck and you have somebody that you're having a problem with and you need to break away and maintain yep. distance oh, okay. and get Absolutely. away from them. I mean, you can go into a store or whatever, but if the truck's right there, you can yep. go and do that kind of stuff. So it serves a number of purposes, but Excellent. bringing up the truck, of course, from that budget, the truck, operating the truck, buying fuel for it, insurance. There's another that cost. Stuff. That, there's that another cost to it. So, I mean, even there's, there is no volunteer organization that runs for no fee. Exactly. And I don't care who yeah. you think it is in the city of Lethbridge. We've, we've had the opportunity of interviewing yeah. many, many yeah. on our <clears throat> podcast. Whether that's it's exactly by it. public donation or however yeah. right. it was for, I mean, there's I've costs. made donations from the Cove's accounts to some yeah. of these other organizations mm -hmm. as well. And they... That's they what they rely, rely on. They need money. They rely yeah. on that kind of so stuff. So one of the things I guess I ask is the north side area was hit really hard, extensively hard by drug-related crime, um, individuals who are going through our backyard, shooting up in our backyards. Yeah. And unfortunately, the... The population is starting to wander again back on the north side. And I know on behalf of 
my neighborhood, we are so thankful for our police officers and we will always be thankful and we will always support our police officers. But why not put that money into actually hiring more police officers than a volunteer program? Which would be great. Um, everybody wants to have a police officer on their corner and that's nothing yeah. new. Since 1985, <laughs> when I first got here, that was always a, a thing. Um, the difference though is that what we need to do is we need to separate the police jobs from the not police jobs. And we used to be sending police more often to not than not to things that are not necessarily police matters. They're inconvenient or they're an annoyance to people, but they're not actually crimes. Mm. I remember when I was a police officer, uh, especially when I first started, we had people would phone the police if somebody was not standing in the park, Absolutely. for example. And I always wondered, more so as I got older, but maybe not back in the day when I was first started policing, but why would you not go and check on that person? Because Absolutely. maybe that person needs an ambulance. Yeah. Let me throw this out for you. Almost 2,100 times over the first 16 months that we've been in operation of our 3,600 actions that we've taken, um, they have been events that could have been police calls. Somebody's horizontal Absolutely, in the I park. Um, and we right. check on them. It's like, well, this person needs an ambulance or... Yeah. This person needs a ride. Yep. We've, we've, we've got services from the Diversion Outreach Team, for example, over a thousand times for people right. in the park where people would have called the police on those particular yeah. individuals. Yeah. I or, see that. And the I cost. see that. And, and the that's going to reduce remember that. and reduce police's time versus being called out. Because, right. I mean, I'm that person that drives by, and if I see anyone laying down on the grass, I do, I feel like I have to go and make sure that they're okay. And so I guess that's that's an, that's almost the same example of what the watch does is yeah. let's clear up the police's time mm -hmm. for these non-disturbing yeah. calls, yeah. right? And just emergent. making sure that someone's yeah. okay. I right. see that now. And thank you for explaining that because that was one of our questions. So let's take a break. We're going to get back into some more questions for you, Jeff, as the manager of the watch and stay tuned. This is Connecting Your Community with Blaine Higgin and Mallory Christiansen. We'll be right back after these messages. Freddy's Paint is all about saving you time and money with quality Benjamin paint and our helpful design and paint professionals. Freddy's Paint, voted best of the best, 20 years running. Freddy's Paint and Details, 210 17th Street South. There's a new art shop in town? What? Watercolors, acrylics, pastels, brushes, oils, canvas, and paper. Oh, where? It's new. The art room at Smith's Audio on 13th Street North. For high performance sound. And super art supplies. Audio, electronics, try Smith's Audio, 13th Street North. You, you need the best sound? Yeah, you gotta try Smith's. Smith's Audio, 13th Street North. Electronics simplified. Financing that is, has come from, from council. Can you give me a little bit of background where you're at with that finance and, and with that, uh, this monies to run this program? So the money that we were given from council um, that predates me, so the, the people that were actually building the program was a million dollars over two years, uh, slightly more than a million dollars, 1.15 million, I think it was, um, over two years. That funding actually runs out after Christmas, so the end of December 2020, the funding mm -hmm. runs out. So we're going back to council um, with a presentation or proposal to seek permanent funding for the watch program because it was a pilot project. <clears throat> now, um, as it sits, um, you know, we're running running the program. The money from, from that will come from council is in addition to it'll go to the, the police service, but it's not currently part of the police service budget. So there's really nothing to cut to defund the watch 
as it is. Because again, there's a, there's a pot of money to understand that the, the, the police get this pot of money and we do not tell, and speaking with, with a counselor's hat, how the police spend that money right. because that's not the direction that right. we have. That is the commission and, and, right. and works together with, with the chief, but they spend that. So now this money is part of that funding. So now the police could actually come to the watch and say, you know what, we need this funding, maybe mm. more for this than, or that could happen. But I think that there's some very good support for the watch throughout the police service. If the funding existed permanently, mm -hmm. um, hypothetically, yes, the police Passed service along. could say, yeah, we're not going to have the watch anymore. In spite of the fact that city council gave the money to the police commission mm. um, to spend on the watch, we're going to make an executive decision, operational decision here today, and we're not going to fund the watch anymore so they could take the money. But mm -hmm. until the funding for the watch becomes permanent in January of 2021, after we go to council, that can't happen because the money doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so zero from zero is zero. So, so that piece exists there. So what we're looking for now is, is that it's I'm not permanent. saying it's, it's, it couldn't happen a year or two down the road. I don't yeah. know. But um, right now, it's a, it's a program that we think is beneficial to all of our stakeholders. Yes. So regardless mm -hmm. of what your service is downtown, what your life is downtown, if you're a business, a, a volunteer, an employee somewhere, if you're homeless, addicted, um, part of the heart of the city, the business revitalization zone, any of them, the police service, Sage Clan, our friends in the Sage Clan, um, any of those things, they're all they're all our stakeholders mm -hmm. and they're all our partners. And yeah. so, was, so that's been a growth piece for me over the last eight months that I've been the manager. That's always sort always of existed, been. but I've been working really hard to formalize those relationships with all those partners and stakeholders. But just just to add to add to that, when 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 uh, uh, our new police chief. Uh, arrived in town and, and we were doing the, the meet and greet. It was really interesting and, and uh, you know, introducing to some of the watch members yep. and, and having the new police chief uh, speak with them. And I, I think that there's a great support from what mm. I'd seen through there on some of the different work that these individuals are yep. doing. And I know our new chief wants to get out and, and walk some of these paths with the watch to see exactly what they do and the importance yep. of the role that they have in our community. Yeah, yep. I think I've learned a lot too, especially even just with the funding and the, the use of the truck, et cetera, but also the additional training that you guys do but I think one of the biggest things that I want to just highlight is the decrease in police having to respond to really mm. little critical things yeah. that are happening right but in any event we have also heard over and over and over again about you know you just have white people volunteering with you yep. it's just white people who are targeting people in the parks and I disagree with that because I've actually had many conversations with your diverse team and you know they're in every different faculty addictions you know they want to be in policing so they're in criminal justice yep. can you explain the diversity of your volunteers sure. and also even just the impact that this experience as a volunteer has to understand social issues faced by many people on our streets sure so there's so the the first group i want to talk about is the older group so that was my group um so we were all people that just older. wanted to do something in the more in experienced, the experienced what do you call group, it right so people with already have careers they already have lives that are totally divested from yes. anything in law enforcement or any of that kind of stuff that just want to give. And and we have some volunteers that are like that, that we can't keep them out of the office. They're there three or four or five times a week. It's just unbelievable mm -hmm. what they give. And then we have groups that are um, from uh, fish and wildlife 
education, uh, environmental science, that kind of stuff. And we have a lot of people that want to be law enforcement officers. From a diversity piece, um, so in 2019, we had 11 female members. Um, we had two First Nations, Métis, uh, Inuit, and four visible minorities. And that's changed and evolved, and mm -hmm. we're always recruiting to get those, those people who represent the community. So we mm -hmm. need the diversity, not for the sake of being diverse, but diversity for the sake of representing the community. That's beautiful. Because when you deal yep. with people, everybody wants to deal with somebody who's like you, or you, Absolutely. who you consider to be like you, who can be uh, understanding of where you're coming from. Which, of course, is important that regardless of the fact that, so I'm some uh, late middle-aged white guy, but um, it's important that I also understand um, Indigenous cultures Absolutely. and all the other people that we're yeah. doing. So I understand, how did we get here? How did this happen? How did you end up here and, and, and what can we do to help you? Those kinds of things. So it really sounds like you guys, even not only with the cultural training that you guys do, but you also take into consideration what brings people into homelessness, yes. right? And that breaks the stigma in itself because you guys are actually not only getting that training, but you're also able to understand and connect with the individuals who are living mm -hmm. on our streets. Which brings me right? to the biggest lesson that you get. So the ones predominantly they want to be police officers. Yeah. So, so as it sits today, we have 24 female members, um, which is, is even better than actually what the police service has for a percentage wise, because we have 38 total people with volunteers, not including me, but volunteers team leads the whole deal. Um, three First Nations, Métis, uh, Inuit, uh, two of them are team leads and we have one visible minority. So the takeaway for them when they get there, because I always tell, go out there and I remind them, I go down and see them every day, yes. 10 o'clock before they get out there. Remember to be kind to everybody, think before you speak and, and those kinds of things. And that's key because those that want to be police officers need to develop the best and biggest tool that they mm. will ever have as a police officer. And that's the ability to use their two ears to do twice as much yes. listening and talking learning to speak to people with your mouth and to be able to carry on a conversation, to initiate a conversation with somebody that you don't know mm -hmm. and actually get to know them yeah. and get them to talk about something that they know the most about and that's themselves. So I guess my question is, are the volunteers actually sitting down with the individuals who are facing homelessness addictions, who are living on our streets? Are they actually hearing that firsthand information? Because yeah. that's a stigma you right. guys have too. And yeah. I want to break that because I see your volunteers sitting down with many individuals. So tell us how you've kind of changed that approach with your volunteers. So we ask them, we have conversations with them. Um, I remember having a, a great conversations one time with my friend, Mark Bravrock um, about, you know, his, his time when he was homeless and whatnot um, and where he came from and mm -hmm. his story because Mark and I have known each other for many, many years. Yeah. And he likes to tease me about that. But nonetheless... <laughs> he's a testimony. Yes, he's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's, testimony. A, he's a success story. And, yeah. and, his, and his group is just unbelievable yeah. with the work that they do. But having our people sit down and have conversations with people. So I've, I, you ask them, you know, how did you get here? What did you do? Before you came here, what did you do? So we learn about people who's, about their families, yes. about what they did for a living. We have a, a lady who lives on the street who has a master's degree in education. Yep. We have people who have lots of education. We have people that were on our street that that, uh, we, that we know common people. They're associated with the college. They were students in college yes. and they were, had lives and, and one thing led to another, um, be it a, a, an injury of some kind, trauma in their life or whatever, they ended up getting 
getting addicted, they get onto the streets and away they go. And it's mm-hmm. about building those kinds of relationships mm-hmm. and learning and understanding and having people. You would be amazed the number of people that if you sit down and you just ask them, they'll talk to you. Absolutely, And I regret to say that it's not something that I did earlier in my policing career that I've really taken on now. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I'd done it. 20 years ago but um, you know what you make up for lost time you, you do these things and you learn those things so those are all things that I have those conversations with these people that I work with mm-hmm. so that they make those connections with the people on the street we've had lots of people that we've had connections with that have passed away unfortunately yeah. there's lots of people that we've saved with mm-hmm. our, our Narcan that we talked about earlier yes. just to st- to give them that one chance that maybe this is the time that Absolutely. they're going to get Fine. saved and mm-hmm. so those are all things that we do. And by connecting with those people, we had a card, actually. We had an uh, individual that we built a relationship who regrettably passed away. And we've had lots of people that we deal with. And it's, yeah. it breaks my heart to have to tell people that so-and-so has passed away um, when I go down to brief a team before they go on, um, on shift. So it's difficult. But at the end of the day, you, you hope that you're going to be that one person yep. to do that. But we got a, a thank you card from one individual's mom. Um, That's from beautiful. Montana, thanking us for looking after yeah. her son yeah. when she couldn't. Yeah. So, right. so, so that's I, a statement there. I just don't think you guys get the credit and even the recognition of the work that you guys are doing. So I just want to say thank you. Well, and, and you know what? It, it comes back to the, I went back to the, the volunteers that you're saying that you get the different uh, volunteers that are, are coming. And a lot of them are from the, from the, the criminal justice program. Yeah. From Now, what I found with this lady and speaking to a few of them is it's, it's a really a way to see mm-hmm. what is done throughout our community. And so it's it's policing. And I know that a lot of people say, well, it's not true policing. But no, policing had a lot of this these, yeah. these issues around. And so being able to see some of this and even the connection with those officers on a regular basis. Tell me a little bit about how this has helped these students in our college. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so they, they um, well... So I've got lots of them that are actually doing practicums while they work with the watch. Mm-hmm. And some of them are employed. So they're also doing directed studies. And the best part is, is I get to participate in helping them with their assignments. Um, it's just something that we've that I've taken on, which really wasn't part of what I'm supposed to do. But, <laughs> but and given an opportunity to ask questions, and it's an ability to coach and mentor somebody. And so I have an effect on people that are going to be policing in our community one day. So they see these things. And so... As, as time has evolved, lots of things got dumped on the police. And I think mm-hmm. that was where part of the defund the police thing came. Take the stuff away from the police that's not yeah. police-related real stuff and stuff that we're doing. Which yeah. is so, some of this. Yeah. Some of this. So they get to see these things and knowing that and having these experiences. And in some cases, coming out of the box with a connection. So mm-hmm. you finish recruit training, yes. you do your training and whatnot. And it's like, hey, I know you. It's like, hey, oh, you're a police officer now. You wouldn't believe the number yes. of people that, that I, I when I'm walking that. around, they'll say to me, yeah. You used to be a police yeah. officer, and and it's like sometimes good, sometimes bad. Yeah, imagine, yeah. Right? Actually, no, I've never, I've never had a negative situation. Oh, good, that's but, great. Um, that's there was great. this one lady; it was her birthday. So if it's your birthday, and I find out, I sing you happy birthday in the park, and I've done that a few times. Sounds you have a pretty good, and pretty I, good set of I lungs. Actually, did this for uh, for one lady, and her son was there. He, for, she said to me, "It's my mom's birthday. You should say happy birthday to her." And I said, "I'll go you one better. Can I sing happy birthday to your mom?" He said, "Sure." So I sang happy birthday to her, and then her son looked at me lo- like paused literally paused he looked at me and then he came out with you used to be a police officer he suddenly remembered that i was a police officer and i said well that was a long time ago he goes no i remember you because you helped me when he he'd been stabbed some other place in the city and i helped him and i also and it's the same same guy wow and wow. i and i don't really remember it i mean 
you think you go through a lot of things. Oh, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And he, but he said, no, it was you. And he was in a motor vehicle crash. He says, our car got totaled, and you helped us get rides and do all those things again. And so I, I say to him, you know, I'm really glad that you remember that. I'm sorry, I don't remember it, but I'm glad that I could do something yes. positive for you. Right, right. And he was really happy that I sang happy birthday to his yeah. mom. First day out on the, on the, on the <laughs> road in, in, the, in Gulf Gardens, it was somebody's birthday. They had a birthday cake there, but nobody was singing happy birthday to the lady whose birthday it was. So I did. And yes. it's funny because we had the media with us that day. And that's <laughs> and the watch. Yeah, yeah I was in the going. story, the watch guy <laughs> singing happy birthday. Yeah. But anyway, so it's just those, it's those little, little itty bitty things, things that make a difference. And everybody who sees us do that or sees me do those things that's important they and feel it, like they, they feel like, like they feel like someone and someone cares oh, yeah. for them and you know and, that's all that and team leads that are right? with me when i'm and that, that see me and see somebody will say hey you're a police officer and you <laughs> you did this for me and you did that for me and so far i've never had a, a negative thing come out from yeah. them but i tell them it's like you know what that's the thing 20 years later this person still remembers me and has positive yes. things to say about something i did how i helped them um, those kinds of things, that's the goal mm-hmm. and that's the takeaway. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to leave with all these people that are in criminal justice, that are part of yes. the watch. Your goal is to do your job, serve the public, be of the public interest, deal with everybody fairly and equitably. And 20 years down the road, have somebody come back and say, you're that police you're officer. You did this for me. Thank you very much. Yep. Cause that that's happened true. a number of times and yep. it happens every day. Just and about. you know, it's okay yeah. to say thank you to a police officer. Sure. It's okay, <laughs> okay to, when you sure. see them, man, thank you so much. Yeah. Like I know for myself is, and uh, just even when you're talking about that whole defunding piece is, you know, if I didn't have 911 on speed dial to have an officer in some of the situations that I was in, I may or may not be here right now. And that's what I think about. Like I've had to walk into houses, even being refused to refuse unsafe work. Five guys high on meth, 200 pounds. If I didn't have a police officer, right? I don't know if I'd be here right now. So I just, you know, going back to that whole, you know, I'm grateful and I'm grateful that future officers have this opportunity to engage and collaborate with individuals on our street, Mm -hmm. but also to kind of get that experience where what they're coming into. So spin back to what we do in taking work away that's not police work that we are doing in, yep. in place of the police, your situation, the police officers tied up doing something that yeah. was inconvenient Absolutely. or irritating rather than And here being I am available. with five guys high yeah. on meth. And, right. you know, I will vividly always remember the two officers that showed up because it's, it's doors getting, you know, it's making sure that right. that person and those people in that house are safe. Yeah. Right? So, no. yeah. So, you know what? We've... This is one of these ones we've talked numerous times before. It could be like part one of six. Yeah, I know. This is, it's, it's amazing. And I've had, I've been so blessed to, to have the opportunity to, to hear from the watch on quite a few occasions as, as they come into to council. And, and then obviously to speak with yourself, Jeff, and, and I'm, I'm going to get out and put on these hiking boots and I do want to see part of this. And I'm really excited to do that just to be able to see exactly yeah. some of the work it is. Cause it's sometimes it's difficult to, to, to hear what you do without yep. maybe going in and volunteering and, yep. and actually seeing some of that work that's being done. So I guess in, in closing, I do want to find out um, um, if there's anything else that you, you have to say as far as how the watch is assisting our community. I know we've talked about it a lot and we've touched on a lot of different things. Is there anything else that maybe we've uh, have left out? And I'm sure there is, but just off the top of your head. I think it's important that everybody understands that when the watch is out doing what the watch does, there are lots of other places that look like they do the same things we do, but mm. they don't because of ours, because of who the, their stakeholders and clientele can be, um, who the people they serve are. 
Um, so our work is different. There's actually no two organizations that are out there doing the same work. They're doing similar work, but not the same work. And lots of times they're there to, they complement what you're doing. Sometimes some are in there to help where other ones are, are doing a particular task and they might need somebody else. Like we sometimes, we work closely with the Sage Clan lots mm-hmm. of times now, for example. Um, if they need to find somebody and we're out, they'll let us know. Absolutely. Hey, can you have this person contact the Friendship Centre yep. to do that? There, We work with um, uh, children's services because sometimes children are in care. Mom and dad might be on the street yep. and they mm-hmm. need to know when there's a, a thing that yep. involves their child. And so they will come to us and they'll say, oh, hey, if you know yeah. this person or that person, can you tell them to get in touch with us? Or they'll ask you, just give us a message. Can you give them this message? That's amazing. So we'll do that, that stuff for them too. Um, so there's all these other little things that we do. And we're the only organization that's actually out there 12 hours a day. I yeah. get that we're only out till 10 o'clock at night, but... Man, we start at 10 o'clock in the morning, we're out there, and we're running three volunteer shifts at at 10, 2, and 6 every day. Uh, We have capacity to have between four and six volunteers every day. Um, That's one of the things I'm really going to do in earnest uh, when we get funding for 2021 is move forward with trying to get to 84 volunteers so I can staff them all. And and, because I don't want to shrink the size of the of where we go because Mm -hmm. there's something to do in every single one of those areas that we work. There's always somebody to see, somebody to help, yes. somebody to give, even if it's just a pat on the shoulder yeah. and say, you know, I'm here. Yeah. Do you want to well, talk? Well, you, you, talk. Look at the, you look at the budget and, and it makes me go back to the, the half a million dollars a year. It's a, a few, let's say four, four police officers yep. or 60 or what was the number at any given time you've got? So we need to understand for that us, well. it, Yeah, it's having, having that, those number of people. So we have four team leads that are mm-hmm. they, when they're, they're out, out there, there and, and for that 12 hours. But you think about it. So there's almost 2,100 calls that, that would have, could have been police calls that were averted. Yep. Mm-hmm. A police officer, even if it was just one hour per, and it's not, it's, it's, yep. it's, it takes the police a lot longer between calling dispatch, having the call go out, the police officer get there, yep. attend to it, deal with it, write a report yep. and all the rest of that stuff. But say it's one hour per. One full-time equivalent police officer is 2,080 hours, and that's $135,000 for a first-class constable in our community. Um, which is is fairly consistent and common across the country. Yeah, so at the end of the day, you think about that, where the police officers are being freed up to go in and do that. Do and we've put in over 5,500 volunteer hours in the, since we started doing this. That's incredible. So put a dollar figure on what that's worth to the community yeah. for the work that we've done to avoid, to deal with the 3,600 events that we've dealt with, but the t- almost 2,100 things that could have been police wow. things. And, and, and there's a takeaway for every single one of those people that work at the watch, whether you're somebody who has a career um, as a veterinary technician or in automotive sales or in parts or wherever you work, or somebody who wants to be a police officer, there's a takeaway for every single mm. one of those things. And there's a life experience and there's a risk to them too. Because, of course, there's the trauma. It's pretty traumatic dealing with somebody with, with an overdose or any of those other yeah. things that they may end up dealing with. But the other piece is, is, the, is the benefit, is uh, the potential to make a friend. Absolutely. And, and to have people. So there's people. My wife laughs about it when, she, when I'll see people. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. You've I, told I me. I see them. On the, so, so one of the street people one time at uh, the, the Street Wheelers weekend last year when we had it out there, yeah. I was out with my grandson. We're walking along. I ran into a couple of guys. One guy actually congratulated me when I when I got the watch manager's job, and uh, he had a hug for me for that too. Um, but he um, he's walking along, so I called him. 
brought him back. I introduced him to my grandson. So my yeah. grandson had a conversation with him. Yeah. Um, I don't think my grandson had ever had a conversation with an Indigenous person before. Mm-hmm. Um, just old people like me. But <laughs> at the end of the day, um, he had a conversation with him. And then about a week or two after that, I ran into him again on the street and was talking to him. He goes, thanks for introducing me yeah. to your grandson. That meant See, something. Yeah. See, that's and that's, is, that's right? even when you look into the truth and reconciliation. We are to be teaching our children about Indigenous right. culture. We are not right. to, you know, and giving children that experience and having those conversations is huge because I know my yeah. son is, you know, everyone knows who my son is when yeah. I do outreach and it's, how's your son, you know? Mm-hmm. And the compassion, the love is, is my son asks is, why is that person still homeless? Yeah. Why doesn't that person have a house? And my son's five, yeah. right? So those are conversations that that we can start with grandkids, with children, and just the community. So Jeff, I just, on behalf of Blaine and I, thank you so much. Um, Thank you for answering some some tough questions that we did want to ask and just let the community know what you do. And again, thank you as always for your service and also for the volunteers who watch with you. And also we will make sure to add on the the numbers and stuff of the watch and we'll put that on as well so that people have the opportunity to see exactly how to get in touch with yourself or your team. So thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's great. Thank you. You've been listening to Connecting Your Community with Blaine Higgin and Mallory Christiansen. Join us next time as we continue to discuss community topics and how all of us together can make a difference. Remember, there is no community without unity.